Welcome back to the Mail Right Show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, today's episode is number 379, and we're going to take on a fairly controversial topic, at least it seems to be, because uh, recruiting seems to be half of what everybody is doing in the real estate business. Go to one brokerage, to another brokerage, to another brokerage. So today, we are going to discuss some tips and insights on how to switch brokerages if you choose to successfully in 2023. So before we jump into this subject, uh, John and I have been doing this show for 250 episodes together, and John's been doing this show for 379 different times. He's gotten online and he's discussed it, but you may not know who he is. So John, uh, for those people that may be new to the MailRite podcast, would you mind uh, introducing yourself? No problem at all, Rob. I'm the co-founder of mail-right.com. We build beautiful websites on WordPress, plus we provide a CRM and we specialize in Facebook and Google direct marketing campaigns for our users, all combined in one super value package. Back over to you, Robert. Wonderful. My name is Robert Newman. I am also the founder of a marketing company called InboundREM.com um, or Inbound, R- Inbound Real Estate Marketing technically. But if you'd like, just go to InboundREM and you can learn plenty about us and get lots of great tips and insight on pretty much every single concept that even surrounds real estate marketing. We've done a great job of building out our content profile. And I think we have answers to almost every question that one person might ask as it relates to the real estate career. Uh, though it's funny because I, I'm realizing, John, as I say that, that we may not have written anything on how to switch brokerages successfully in, in any year, let alone 2023. So um, we're gonna. I'm gonna serve you up the 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 softball that you actually did. So ladies and gentlemen, John sent me a pretty strong outline for this particular show. So uh, the first thing that he said uh, was time. Oh, one, one, thing, one, one thing, Rob, I am becoming more organized, aren't I? It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you are. Um, so self-assessment, why don't you, why don't you tell everybody what you think, uh, a self-assessment looks like if you were if you were thinking of switching brokerages. Well, I, I kind of put that as point one because there, there's going to be emotional reasons why there, there's going to be a general feeling that's probably grows over a number of months that slight disagreements the way the brokerage is run. Um, you're you might have grown out out of a certain style of brokerage. There's a general number of things, right? And then normally there might be one thing that triggers you into action, into actually moving, which is all fine. It's all understandable. It's the same pattern that controls most of our business decisions and our personal decisions, that's the kind of pattern. But there should be the other side. The other side is the cold business analytical part of it, which sometimes is lacking, right? Um, I'm not diminishing the first bit, which is more emotional, intuitive, 
which has its place and is important, but really a cold analytical look at the reasons why you're, you need to change brokerages and what type of brokerage setup suits you in your present or your aspiration where you want to be in a year's time, it, for that to really happen, you really should write this down. You should write down the key self-assessment of what you're looking for, what you, what kind of agent you are, and what you're looking for from a brokerage. Because otherwise, it's really easy to be persuaded to go somewhere else and find out after a few months that you've made a big mistake. Is that making sense, Robert? Yeah, I'd like to expand on that um, for a moment. So John and I have different backgrounds. And and one of the things about my background is that when I was younger, there was a period in time, John, where I probably went through like 50 sales gigs in the span of maybe five years. It was literally that many, five or 10 a year. Like, like I was the king of getting a good pitch from somebody on a sales thing and thinking that the grass was greener. And I was, I was selling for all the wrong reasons. I was just looking for money. It was the 80s. I was just making one decision after another. So when you say self-assessment, one of the things that I discovered in my career was that money wasn't my primary motivation. I, everybody, everybody, including my parents, said that that's what my motivation should be. And yet, for me, after a deep amount of self-assessment, despite being in sales, I discovered that the first thing that was most important to me was the quality of the product or service I was selling. The second thing that was most important to me was the quality of the management and the company that was selling the service. So, so in other words, it was was what I was selling any good and were the people who were selling it, was it worth making the money? And if those two pieces were to were in place, I discovered that while I still wasn't necessarily 100% mission-driven or money-driven, I could get behind the idea of making money for the institution that I was working for as long as a good service and a good company. So when you say self-assessment, ladies and gentlemen, I talk to a lot of real estate agents who actually don't even can't even answer the question, why are they a realtor? Because I ask that in almost every consultation. And you'd be you'd be shocked, John, how many people cannot actually give a clear answer to that question. It's almost always I stumbled into the career, I left something else. Very rarely, and and 99% of the time, the answer is, well, I heard I thought I could make a lot of money in real estate. There isn't usually like, I don't hear too many mission-driven statements of, I saw somebody that I love buy their first home. It changed their lives, this idea of home ownership. And I realized that I wanted to provide that experience to people, like watch people light up like that and help them through this complicated, difficult process. Because that's a mission, helping people in a really complicated transaction. That's, that's a mission. You know, you, it's, it's 500 pieces of paper to buy a house in the United States. That's mm-hmm. a lot of documentation that you have to understand. And that would be a mission to make that, that information more 
well, easily understandable, you know, so on and so forth. I think you, I think you put that in a really beautiful way, really, Rob, um, because I know we both have businesses that sell services to real estate agents. So take, but I'm being totally honest though here, Rob. Um, I would, I'm not the sharpest tool. I'm not the bluntest either. Um, and I've been in business since I was 23. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a few years ago. I know you, I know it won't look that way, folks, if you're looking at the video, but it has been. <laughs> uh, um, but um, I wouldn't buy a house without uh, without the assistance of an experienced real estate professional. I wouldn't even consider it. I I wouldn't. I I just wouldn't even. And I know you've been involved in the industry a lot longer than me, but I, I'm probably speaking for you. I don't think you would buy a house without nah. being representative. Not even close. You just no way do it, would you? Not not only would I not do it, I wouldn't negotiate. I wouldn't negotiate commission rates. I wouldn't ask anybody to take a discount. Here's what I would do if I was looking for somebody to represent me. I'd look for the sharpest man or woman that I knew in the real estate business. And when I say sharp, I don't mean charismatic or the ultimate salesperson. I mean somebody that could practically recite contracts and property tax rates by heart without even looking at a piece of paper. And then somebody that would understand who I am take that time to get to know me because I would literally be like, these are the things I want. Go find me three houses. I'm going to buy one of them most likely. That's just who I am as a person. I don't connect into real estate the same way that everybody else is going to. So I'd find somebody who understood my eclectic kind of personality. And when they, when I found those different things, if they were sharp, they'd be able to present me my three options and I would buy one because I am a man of my word when I give it. I just don't give it very often. So that's what I would look for. The um, the interesting part about the last sentence was, what are you looking for from your new brokerage? Write down what you're looking for. So ladies and gentlemen, I want to elaborate on this because I get a lot of people calling me, and I, I'm sure John does too, who are in the process of changing brokerages because oftentimes that's when people look at buying a new website. They're making changes in their career. So they they take a look at what they've been doing and, and make decisions to do something else or move off a team KV Core, a team Sync account, a team Boomtown account. We, I get a ton of those calls. And here's one of the things that surprises me. Agents, well, here's a few things that you should consider. Very few brokerages have a compelling value offer these days. Brand doesn't mean as much as it once did. If you're selling luxury, there's still a couple of names that might mean something in your local market. These days, small local brokers are taking a lot of power back from national brands. In other words, you can know a pair of brokers that dominate an area and it's they're not going to be working for Colwell Banker or RA Max or Century 21. It's going to be like, you know, local, whatever, whatever. And you may understand because you've been selling against them that they dominate the market and you may go with them because you want to be part of the dominant team in a specific area. And that would be a compelling reason to sign up with the new brokerage, regardless of what the commission split is or anything else, because their own personal brand was so powerful that you wanted to build your career around it. Now, that's part of what I think you should assess. I would assess what 
value somebody brings to you before I would assess commission rate. If you're already an independent broker who's developing most of your own leads, doesn't need anybody's brand in order to get a piece of business, then the question you start asking yourself, I think, is, is there any value in the national like Realty One type brokerages where they they charge 0% and they just charge you like a yearly fee to use some of their technology and such? That might have value to you. A little bit of value, but you're not paying very much money for it. So maybe you get in there to, to cut corners and learn what other people are doing with their technology if you can't figure that out without signing up for the brokerage. And then last but not least, if you're also a superpower broker, you have to take into consideration the fact that EXP is changing the way that people market themselves. And they're offering you a percentage of their company. They're not offering you a better split which is always what I thought EXP did. But what they are offering is a much more compelling profit-sharing plan than most other brokerages. So I, I suggest that you take your own business model into account when you're looking at... And then look at other people's business models and decide if the two are compatible and, and how... Because a lot of time, top agents or even mediocre agents are actually bringing all the value to the brokerage as opposed to vice versa. And I think that that self-assessment that you're talking about, like it's how much value are you bringing and how much value is the brokerage that you're considering really bringing to you? Because the answer might be not much and you're bringing a lot to them. Yeah, it really, it really depends. I think you've put a lot in what you've just outlined. I just want to break it down quickly. Sure. Um, that what I was hearing from what you were outlining. I think if you're in the first year, let's say, and it really depends on if you're a slow learner like me or you're more of a quicker learner like Rob. Uh, um, um, so you might be in your first, your first or maybe up to your third year in the real estate industry or it might, you might stretch it out if you're between your first and your fifth year. I think what you're looking from a brokerage is going to be very different to what you're looking from a brokerage between three and five years in. Because mm-hmm. um, in the first couple of years, it's going to be mentorship. It's going to be systems. It's going to be a brick and mortar, maybe a slightly more formatic more structured brokerage that can give you that training, mentorship. Um, You can get um, a smaller boutique um, brokerage that's run by a a dominant broker agent. Could still be a good place as a a buyer agent, as a – uh, somebody that they can spend a bit of time mentoring you. Um, it just depends if they've got the time and the resources to really match with what they might be saying to you to get you on board. Um, where a larger will probably have a manager, will have a training manager, will have more resources, more personnel in their brokerage. So um, after that one to three, one to five year period, 
um, you're probably going you you could be looking either running your own brokerage, your own power boutique, or you might be looking at a digital. I call it a digital brokerage. There, you know, there there there's the dominant one that you mentioned. There are other ones that are totally digitally based. They, some of them, like you say, some of them do give you a bigger cut. Others don't. You know, they give you other options, other incentives. Um, I, I think, you know, I know some people even after two years have joined those and done well, but they've been very – normally they've had a history of either marketing or sales before they became an agent. So – they know how they know how to sell themselves and they know how to do lead online lead generation anyway to some extent if you've got no prior experience and you're going into a digital agency brokerage i think it's going to be tough for you unless you're a really quick learner mm-hmm. or you you've got the time or money to spend that's how i'm rationalizing i don't know what, if you agree with anything, I'll just say outline. I'm I'm going to say that I I do I do and I don't, but I am gonna I'm gonna add this one little thing and then move on to number two. So I'm just going to give everybody a couple of examples. I'm going to break. I'm going to take the last thing that John said, which he was talking about speed of learning and what you bring to the table. And I'm just going to give you guys some names and and in, information. So a supposedly more tech forward like brokerage out there right now is Compass. Comparison to their competitors, Compass has a better app, slightly better website experience, slightly better lead routing, a better built-in CRM that that transfers your leads a little bit better to your to your phone. They're out ahead of Keller Williams in terms of command. The only reason this would all matter to you, the agent, is if you were already digitally organized and thought that you could adapt and use these tools easily. If you're just sitting here going, people have told me I need to use these tools and that sounds cool. Compass is not for you. Hear me on that. Okay. Nor is Keller Williams with command. Now Keller Williams does one thing better than almost any other brokerage out there. They've been recruiting for so long and so well that they have a lot of data that if you were determined, you could dig up. Now, here's the problem. Keller Williams operates off independent market centers that are run by, let's just call it an individual business owner. They've got different, you know, a team captain, a team lead. You can call it what you will, but there's a leader. How much information that leader has gotten from the the corporate organization is going to be a question. So if you're new, and you're with Keller Williams and you're saying to yourself, I'm not getting any help. Here's my advice. Go to a Keller Williams family reunion and you'll get your hands on more information than you know what to do with. All right. Keller Williams is a good organization for newer agents. And you'll learn a lot about creative ways that a real estate business can be structured. They've still done a very good job with that. Plus, You've got a lot of internal books that guys like Gary Keller have written, and I still read those books, and they're still relevant in today's world. There's pros and cons to every other system that's out there. Like if you're really experienced, you probably want to go to Coldwell Banker or Sotheby's. 
if you're in LA, it's Hilton and Highland. If you're in Miami, you might consider signing up for the Jills. In other words, depending on what you're selling, like if you're selling luxury, you need a mentor. You don't just need a mentor because you don't know how to sell a $10 million house. That's not the challenge. The challenge is finding the people that have the money to, to buy a $10 million house because traditional lead generation isn't going to work the way you think it's going to work. And then number two, you're going to have to really understand you have one pitch. You got to hit the ball, which is why you need a mentor. You don't have the 500 swings and at bats that people in mid-market have. You've got one attempt that could be half your income for the year. You got to be on top of your game. That's why you need a mentor in the hyper luxury space. So put your pride aside. I don't care if you've sold 10 million, 20 million, 30 million. If you want to go to the top of market and, and sell 40, 50, 100 million dollar estates, sign up for Ryan Sternhant's coaching program. Do something like that. Find people who've sold those homes before and get them to teach you how to do it and suck up your pride. Doesn't matter how great of a salesperson you are. If I wanted to sell hyper luxury, John, I would do this exact thing. And I would also find a hyper luxury local guy who had done it. And then I would, I would spy on them. I just follow them around the office and figure out exactly what they did and how they did it down to the very letter. And then I'd, I'd figure out, do I think I can duplicate this? And if I do think I could duplicate it, I'm going to go out and duplicate it. So I hope that helps a little bit with like what we're looking at when it says self-assessment. Because self-assessment is a big category. Can I just, can I just add one quick thing? Because you pointed out about Keller Williams. Because hmm. you're, you're totally spoke. We interviewed uh, a few months ago one of their regional mm-hmm. um, for Utah, Scott Ognell. Scott Ognell. Because it's really, it's really, it's a franchise model like most of these national. And they have regional principles, and it really depends on what kind of training, what value you're going to get from that principle and the people that he's hired as part of his managerial team. So you've got to, like what you suggested, which was fantastic, you've really got to find out, is that person still involved? Does he still influence the other man, the other top managerial team of that region mm-hmm. and what is their general philosophy because that if there's a mismatch you're wasting your time aren't you yeah and it, are, are they actually going to sit and train you or did they record things that can train you and are they going to give you access to them because if the answer to those things is no it doesn't matter how brilliant the leader is you probably aren't going to learn from them you may get a very good sales pitch because they're recruiting in mass and then training in classes and kicking you in the ass and sending you out into the world. And then never will you see them again. That's not a mentor. That's somebody that recruited you. And now you're inside a system that may or may not be productive for you. So these kinds of questions are extremely important. We're going to go to break, ladies and gentlemen. When we come back, we're going to dig into the rest of the list, which hopefully we can get through. John had six points. So I'm going to read them off to you really quickly. It's uh, look at your con- contracts, um, database, 
website information, license information, and traditional or new brokerages, which covered a little bit of. So maybe we just circle back around to that. So that's what we've got coming up. Stay tuned. Can't wait for you to join us for the latter half of the show. We'll be right back. Do you want quality leads from homeowners and buyers right in your own neighborhood? Then you need MailRight. It is a powerful but easy to use online marketing system that uses Facebook to generate real estate leads at a fraction of the cost you'd pay from our competition. We stand behind our work with a no question asked 30-day money back guarantee. So don't delay. Get started today. Go to mail-right.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the MailRight podcast John Crabb and I, Robert Newman, are guiding you through some things that we think are important for you to look at if you're thinking about uh, switching brokerages in 2023. So the next thing that's on our list to talk about is taking a look at your contract. Now, John and I talk about this incessantly with actually numerous things because it is shocking to both of us how many people sign major life-altering contracts without reading them. A couple of points that John and I think would probably both be interested in sharing with you. Certain brokerages actually retain ownership of your customers, most of them. doesn't matter if you have a referral. If you sell your parents a home and you do it under the Remax brand, your parents are no longer your customers. They're their customers. And should you leave and then sell your parents another home, you would be in violation of your contract And if they wanted to, they could pursue legal remedies for that. Reading your contracts is unbelievably important because there might be some clauses in there that you literally would think to yourself and go, I can't operate like that. All of my clients are my friends and my family. I'm not going to turn over my whole customer base to a brokerage. That's what you should be thinking. But you might. You might do that exact thing if you go and work for a brokerage. Now, if you're brand new into the career, here's one other thing for you all to remember and think of. You're all going to be shocked by how many brokers are going to tell you, you got to shell out your own money or your own time or your own energy to generate your own leads for which they will, they will graciously charge you 1% of your commission to do that. So you go out and door knock all day, find yourself a couple customers, which you no longer own, pay the brokerage for a percent of your commission for the privilege of having knocked on the door and submitted the deal under their broker's license. You have to be very, very careful when you look at these contracts and sign up under them, like really careful. Would you agree, John? Yeah, I think you put it really quite clearly. It is a balance, you know. The bro, you know, you are a subcontractor. You are running your own business. You are in a partnership with the brokerage. The bro, you got, you're there to build your own business for yourself and your family. And the brokerage has their business objectives. And as long as it's clear, I, I think, you know, there's a balance like all business relationships that it's either beneficial or it can become abusive. It's the same as <laughs> partnerships, um, anything really. And there's some clear, you know, when you were outlining some of the things, I, you know, if they were in my contract, I, I would look at a different brokerage 
But it's amazing the amount of people that don't read it. Well, they don't even they don't even know what to look for. So hopefully, listening to this podcast is going to be of some assistance, isn't it, Rob? Yep, let's hope so. I, you know, you made me realize that I got to do a blog post on like thirty things you should, you need to like specific things you need to consider before you you change brokerages. We're going to move on though because we took a lot of time with number one. We're going to go to number three, which is do you have a transferable copy of your database? Um, I'm going to just say, are you in control of your customer database? Are you in control of your data? And if you're not in control of your data, if you've indeed operated off, the reason that, that brokers and brokerages want to buy a system for you, like Boomtown or Sync or whatever it is, is because they're from then on that point forward, they're completely in control of the data. They're in control of your notes. They're in control of the messaging on the platform. They're in control of everything. And as long as you have a copy, like John said, a copy of this information, that's that's an okay proposition if the tool is good enough and you're you, you're getting a lot of value out of it and you're not paying for it other than using it. That's an equitable trade, I think. Because some of these systems can be expensive. But if you don't have a copy of your information at the very minimum, you are asking for a lot of trouble. I think that's the point you were trying to make. Is that right, John? Yeah, I think, you, like, again, good job there, Rob. But I think it goes, look, there's a dirty secret out here, folks. You know, I don't know if Rob's going to agree. A lot of the more experienced agents I know, they don't you even if they're made to pay for the brokerage system through a monthly fee, they don't use it. They use it enough to keep the brokerage and the database, the digital manager happy. They normally run a ghost system which they control. <laughs> They control because they've been through this a couple of times and they've been burnt on the arse about this and they've learned the hard way. Hopefully through this podcast we're giving you so you don't have to learn the hard way. Um, that's why brokerages provide or insist that you or attempt to assist. They can't, you know, like I say, it's linked to number two, the, uh, the previous point. You are a independent subcontractor. Um, you're running your own business. Yeah. What's, what's your thoughts, Robert? What I've just said. Well, some brokers like Compass and, and KV Core plugged up that hole. You can't process the transaction without using their systems, their internal mm. systems. So one way or the other, you're giving up all your data, whether or not you use the CRM element of it. You're giving up 50% of the value because you could be theoretically be giving up your future pipeline, but you're 100% for sure giving up your customers in a way that was never true before because the system's all automated. So once you're in, you process the transaction to get paid with Keller Williams, you have to use command. And I don't know what the rule is with Compass, but I suspect that they probably do something similar. So like brokerages are heading you off at the pass, the big ones and the technology forward ones, because the, the value in real estate is whoever controls the data controls the customer about 50% of the time. So it doesn't really matter. And, um, 
if you have your own records or not. Once you've turned them over to certain brokerages, they get marketed to egregiously. The customer gets adopted out from underneath you. And so if you're not really on top of your staying in touch and marketing game, you literally cede control of all of your transactions over to the brokerage. That's a problem. You're giving up all your, your future revenue. It's harder these days to run referral businesses. And so, yes, I agree as a whole, the veteran agents that I know that are highly successful tend to keep extremely antiquated systems. Um, I think my system's crashing here. Yeah, your video is, your audio is fine. Okay. Um, they, they tend to keep, well, no, everything went away. It froze, but it's come back. Oh, okay. All right. They tend to keep, Jesus Christ, hold on a second here. Um, I'm closing out some other stuff, hopefully freeing up some yeah. system resources. Yeah, look at that. Here we go. Woo. Okay. Um, I think that that to the degree that the brokers and and such are really moving in the direction of trying to make sure that there's a seamless acquisition of all data surrounding a transaction would surprise most agents if they understood not only what's been done, but what's being worked on from a development standpoint. There is a lot to be like these bigger brokerages that, that, have big names who are losing market share. They're losing great agent uh, value propositions. They're making up for it in the, in, in very com- complex tech packages that they're telling the agents are going to you know simplify and improve their life. And the only person that I know of, John, that's actually managed to do that so far is Compass. And what they've done a very good job of is creating an interactive CRM system that goes along with the phone and connects into their systems. So they continue to dominate in terms of mobile accessibility. They're not doing better on the web. They're not doing better for SEO. They're not doing better well, for anything else. But I'll, put it, I'll, the I'll put it in a slightly more blunt uh, <laughs> way. Um, they, they, want, they, want, they want subcontractors, but they want the Redfin relationship model without directly paying the agent as an employee. That's what they, you know, they want Redfin, but they don't want to pay the agent directly to be an employee. They want still a self-employed subcontractor basis, but they want the Redfin model. And the reason why they want the Redfin model is they're losing... The benefit, the benefit side of being part of a large national brand, which you pointed out at the beginning of this conversation, is diminishing. Right, all kind of interlinked. And most technology is advancing so fast in so many categories. There's no one brokerage that has a great solution for everything. So the best agents and brokers are all realizing that you have to have a multi-pronged technology solution for your marketing. Yeah, like like I do, there's no way that my CRM system HubSpot, which is about as good as it gets, they are not as good as it gets inside the email space, the text mar- marketing space. There's lots of individual tasks where they're second, third, fourth, fifth best. 
what they do do well is they give you a decent solution that combines everything under one roof. They do that well and they integrate well with WordPress. They've done a few things very well, which is why they have a business. But are, do I use them? At, will I ever use them for everything? No. There's so many other people that do so many individual things so much better. I can't justify wrapping it all under one roof. That used to make a lot of sense. But when you have an email provider that gets you a 300% better open rate, you don't use HubSpot anymore. You go with the people that charge you less and get a better result. Um, and that's a summation for part of the challenge that the real estate industry is facing. But we're going to go on to number four because I don't even know that we're going to make it through the list. Do you have your own website? If not, it's probably a good idea to have your own website before you move brokerages. Ah, I don't know if I agree with that. Owning your own website is is uh, like owning your own house. You definitely should do it. It's the best investment you'll ever make. John and I have said this endlessly, but I also would argue a timing is a factor. Just owning a website isn't enough. You got to work on it and pay attention to it and have the time and space inside your career to focus on owning a site. Very similar to focusing on owning a home, doing the yard, making sure that the screens are up to date, the gutters are clean, the snow is out of the driveway. All of that stuff that you don't necessarily have to worry about if you live in an apartment building or other people are taking care of the maintenance on the property, like they get to worry about that, not you. Same thing with is true of leasing a site. So if you're new into your career, I would hazard a guess that you probably don't need to worry about website ownership in the early stages of your career. <laughs> Later on in your career where you have a book of business, you're making over a hundred to hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I would say that one of the things you could advance your profit margin, the your independence basically take your career to the next level. I would say one of the things that you could do to do that would be to own your own website. That's what I would normally say. What do you think, Sean? Why don't you throw your opinion in there? Yeah, I think fundamentally, I think I would place it a little bit earlier, but definitely first year, um, depending on your background, if you, you know, I would totally agree with you. Okay. So number five on our list is um, you own your license, not the brokerage, which I think is a very good point. The way that I interpret what you're trying to say, John, is that ultimately I think that realtors lose sight of the fact that they are actually independent business owners. It doesn't really <laughs> matter where they fucking hang their, excuse me, where they hang their license. It just doesn't matter. You <laughs> own your own business. It's your business. You may be doing business with somebody else because theoretically they make it easier for you to do business for yourself. But you own your own business. Yes or no? Is that what you were trying to say? Yes, precisely. You're not work, you're not working for Redfin. You're, you're, you're running your own business in a partnership with a brokerage. Okay. I think that enough is, is said about that. And, and besides which we're running low on time. Number six, should you go with a digital or traditional new brokerage? Um, digital is my home. And, and, and digital is the wave of the future. There's no doubt. We're, we're going to command 80% of the real estate business from now until forever. And that's just a reality. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you as an individual are ever suited. Now, I'm going to say something that really every single agent should have heard already. But if you haven't, 
in the world that we live in, unless you want to knock on doors or cold call using Red X, like a circle prospecting system like Ricky Carruth promotes, you really are going to have to look at digital to develop your leads. And what's more, somebody should have instructed you earlier in your career. I'm sorry. It's not enough to just be a salesperson anymore. You actually have to be a marketer. Technically speaking, as a real estate agent, you always had to be a marketer, but that has gotten far more complicated in today's world. You must be a digital marketer. 80% of you, eight out of 10 listening to this podcast, somebody needs to have told you, I'm sorry, you really need to stop calling up people like me and John and telling us that you just want to go out and sell real estate. Because any time that you've had a license in the last five years, even the people that just want to go out and sell real estate, they're buying their leads from a digital lead provider. They're buying them from Zillow. They're buying them from Trulia. So all you're doing is telling guys like me and John, I'll pay you whatever it takes. Just put me in front of somebody. And I'm sorry, as much as I love to take everybody's money, there is a logic for you all listening to the show that the more you learn, the more you earn about digital, okay? And you really need to stop handing off the responsibility 100% to guys like me and John. I love us. I love our businesses. And but yeah, and I know so many of you will not listen to what I just said, that I'm going to have a business until now, until I, <laughs> whenever I don't want one anymore. But that's what you should do. Would you do, agree or disagree, John? Fundamentally, yes. But as you're saying, there is the Buffini, I call it the Buffini method. Um, it was a method that my host before you um, utilized. He um, he was deeply had been trained by Buffini, um, was deeply embedded with the Buffini family. Of um, the Buffini method is getting three hundred individuals and building your database around those three hundred and relying on referrals. You take them out to parties, blah blah. Um, send postcards on their birthday, ring them up regularly, keep tight with these 300 farm mm-hmm. and you'll have a book of business referrals and you can't be a personal introduction referral normally. I believe in the Buffini method with the digital. I believe firmly in a hybrid model. I think real estate will always be a person to person when it gets down to it because if it wasn't like that it would have been totally digitized and um redfin would or two four or five players would have dominated the industry by now um i always think it will be to some extent person to person so it can provide it's combining buffini with digital marketing those people that can do that are the ones that are going to succeed, in my opinion. I don't disagree. It is a personal business. Ultimately, it's one person selling somebody. It's it's like Tom Hopkins used to say, you get in front of as many people belly to belly as you possibly can. And I agree with that. That is, that is never really going to change. But here's what has changed. There is a gray space in the marketing relationship mm-hmm. between somebody. 
that never existed before. So let's just say you are using the Buffini method. You have these 300 people. They know your phone number. They know your name. They're getting your, your birthday cards. But at some point, they go online to do digital research. Every single freaking person does. And it is just a reality that while you may have sent them a birthday card, while you may have done all of this, you may not have answered a specific burning question that they have about real estate. So they go online and they find they're, they're out diligently searching for a property so that they can turn around and call you when they know, have an idea of what they're looking for. But before they get to that point where they pick up the phone and call you, they find a really fascinating article well-written by some person somewhere. And then they discover that person sold 10 homes or bought you know, in the neighborhood that they, they think that they want. And so they say to themselves, well, you know what? I'm just going to call that person, ask a couple questions. Then I'm going to call my friend Sherry over here. Depending on how good that person is that calls them, that they call, that transaction slips away when it never would have in the past. And I hear this happening every single day from, from some of the top agents in the world like that are going to lunch with their clients on the weekly and still they're, they're having slippage inside their database. The answer to that, as you already said, is a mix of digital proficiencies. You at least need to be conversant in the ways that this gray space exists to make sure that you're plugging the holes in the net. Like, are you going to go do a home search on Zillow? Great. Let me know specifically which neighborhood you're looking at. And then I'm going to send you this very specialized search tool that I have that's going to help you. You get in the middle of their process and you interject some technology solutions. You need to be conversant with what's happening in the digital space in order to keep control of your database. That's what I would argue, John. And that's just conversant, which, which... I think is kind of what you said, and I'm just elaborating a little bit. So this is so, all you, know, you did a better that grey area. I think that that's well put. Actually, that is the key, and that, this is what a lot of agents, experienced agents that rely on what I call the Buffini mythology, which you are well aware of, um, they don't understand, do they? Well, well, they need to understand pretty quick because. It's, it's it's getting more and more of a problem if they don't. Yeah, and and the the the, the complaints, and this may surprise everybody listening to the show. the The place that I hear the most dramatic stories, the most the biggest shocking drops or losses of commission for from people who thought that they never would lose this commission, is coming out of the ultra luxury or hyper luxury space. Yeah. Where these people are only getting on on deck and on to bat, you know, four to six times a year, but they're selling sizable estates those four to six times. I have heard of a sale as big as thirty-five million dollars being lost to this slippage because a younger generational human got involved in the process, did all the research so fast and presented a solution. That by the time it happened, the parents who had a relationship of 30 years with a, with a realtor said, well, you did all the work. So let's just use the person that, that helped you with this digitally. And thus, a person who had done every single transaction for 30 years with this couple who literally had them over at you know their yearly Christmas party and such, lost the deal because of generational marketing drip which is a real live concept that happens in the digital space. I've done a video on it. 
So ladies and gentlemen, please, when you're considering traditional or digital, also consider this. If you see somebody who might have a good digital game, consider upping your skill as opposed to just automatically choosing traditional. Some of people out there are going to be in mid-markets and digital transitions have happened slower and a hundred different things might be relevant for your specific marketplace. And you may know intuitively, I'm going to be able to get away until I retire with just using a phone book as my CRM and calling all my clients and, and doing business the way I've always done it. Then go with a traditional brokerage. Like if you're measuring, if you're changing, go with a traditional brokerage. But if those of you think that you want to improve your skill sets, but go to somebody who like um, Tarvin in New Jersey, who's still being run by Roy Tarvin, is a third generation realtor and it's been a brokerage for 113 years. Well, the Tarvins are trying to up their digital game and they have a younger generation coming in and taking over the brokerage that's attempting it. But Roy still runs his business the same way he has for over 55 years. That's traditional. Like that, and you talk to Roy, and he's just going to be, just go out and talk to some people on the street. I'll buy a house. Yeah, it's great. All right. I'm not arguing with the fact that it made him really successful, but it's not the way most people do business today. So, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, that's all I have to say on the subject. Do you have anything you want to add? No, um, he sounds a lovely guy. I love to meet him. He sounds my down to earth, salt the salt the earth type. Um, bless his heart. Um, yeah, I, I think it's been a great show. I think we've given, um, yeah, I think we've given some good advice and insights. Yeah, so do I, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in. Um, Mail-right.com is John's website. John, uh, if somebody wants to reach out to you personally, how would they do that? I'll just go to the mail-right.com website, book a demo that, and then we have a chat. We see if we're a good fit. Like I say, we base everything on WordPress. We can bit, we got a standard website, which we can customize. We can do semi-customized, full customized, depending on your budget and needs. And then we can run campaigns, Facebook, Google ad campaigns for you. Um, we provide a CRM and the ability to do your own campaigns at one great price value price proposition. It's great value. Over to you, Robert. Uh, my name is Robert Newman. You can go ahead and look up inboundrem.com. And if uh, you want to see what we do or learn from us. Um, I'm still an old school content marketer, which just means I give away all my shit for free. Um, most of them I'd ask you for is an email address so that I can email I'm you. I'm an old school marketer. I am. I'm from the old days of I'm a, I'm a true inbound marketer. If you love what I do enough, you'll call me. So, and I, I really don't ask beyond that. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a great show. Thank you for giving us the honor of your time. And we will hope that you do so again in the future. And we'll try to bring value to these podcasts. Have a great day. <laughs>